0: Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show where we try to take every challenge you might have as a leader and break it down into some common sense golden nuggets, hopefully, that can help you have greater influence and reach levels of success that you desire. Today, my guest is going to join me, and we're going to have a discussion about your own ability to use the power of your brain to make decisions and shift your own mindset to achieve those things that you might have on your target list and your wish list of great levels of success. So her name is Carolyn Mabubi. Carolyn, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Doug. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Carolyn, it's a little bit of a tradition here. I ask people to share some of their background before we set up and get into the meat of the subject we may be talking. So would you share with us your journey to where you are today?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, Doug, I've been a professional life and leadership coach for the last decade, uh, Before, but this is a second career for me. And uh, unsurprisingly, I use that to help people who want to create the next chapter in their lives. Uh, Because I've done that and it's not something new to me. However, professionally speaking, for three decades before that, I was in uh, luxury fashion. So for those of your listeners who are into high fashion, I brought Johnny Versace to the United States in 1982, um, you know, and, and launched him. And then after that was working for Hermes and Yves Saint Laurent and Bulgari and gucci before i would say that it was a combination of my career coming to an end and me wanting to end it which again happens to so many people we get to a place where we are done and therefore not really um able to bring our best bring that generative energy to our work i hit that that place and um And that's my background professionally speaking personally uh, i was born in iran moved here when uh, right before the revolution when i was 11 years old and i am a parent to um, a 21 year old and a 24 year old which helps me coach young adults
0: (laughs) that's great that's great well you're, you're right about that sort of uh, the pivot point in life and career or otherwise. And I certainly have had that same experience in my own life. And most, probably if I really thought about it, all of my clients have done exactly the same thing. Mm. You know, the days of putting in your 40 years in a business and getting the gold watch and going out the door are just non-existent anymore. Through uh, a lot of different factors, people don't spend those kind of careers, and usually there are decision points that are made. Either you make them personally or the company uh, makes them for you, we'll say, but uh, those can be great opportunities, and for those who then get motivated to make a shift and a pivot of some sort, it, it takes you know a good bit of uh uh introspective thought and planning and ideas but in in a lot of your work as i read it you you focus a lot on this area of mindset and mind shift so uh, tell me a little bit about how you sort of got zeroed in on that aspect of your coaching
1: so there are definitely Shifts that take it to happen for us when we hit a certain point in life. Let's say when we're in the back end of our life, the second half of our lives. It, it, you know, research shows that some real changes take place across the board for all of us. For example, um, gosh, Arthur Brooks has a book out right now called Strength, Strength to Strength, or From Strength to Strength, something like that. And he talks about um, sort of focused intelligence versus crystallized intelligence. And, you know, how in the second half of our lives, you know, we have the kind of intelligence where we can solve problems and we can think fast and so on. And tr- truly, that changes as we age. We slow down in that way. But what we gain is a kind of crystallized. Um, intelligence, which is our ability to connect the dots to each other in a way we couldn't do when we were younger and young people can't do very well. You can also call that wisdom. And so my job is to help people understand that the only thing that is getting between them and creating this next very successful, maybe even more successful. A professional and personal chapter of their lives is their mindset, their belief that, okay, now I'm not as fast. I'm not as good. I'm not as strong. You know, I'm not as young. I'm not, I can't compete. And that's all up here. Before we started, you talked about the six, did you say the six inches of real estate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I hadn't heard that before, you know, between our ears. And Here's the thing, most people think that you're talking about pure um, intellectual horsepower. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you use your mind, how you manage your mind, again, to use your words, so that you are the master of your mind, not the servant to it. And most of us don't learn that when we're younger. And then we hit this point in our lives where we are just inundated with limited beliefs that our mind is generating and we're believing. So my job, your job uh, as a very successful executive coach, I'm sure you'll agree, is to help our clients think well.
0: Right. And one of the entry points where this this idea of pursuing the ability to make a mindset shift, uh, in coach speak, we talk a lot about limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. And as we as we engage with clients, and and we go through a dialogue about where they are, where they want to go, part of the challenge is talking about, well, what's holding you back? You you say you want to go here to this other place or this other level. What do you think's holding you back? And And you'll start hearing things like, I never studied that. I didn't go to school. I didn't take that class. I, you know, I failed that subject in school, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things that come up and, and it does, sometimes it boils down to how you were programmed as a younger person. I won't say child, cause it happens later on in life as well, but kind of how you got programmed to think about what you are and what you know. And the reality is, you know, our minds are amazing machines that we we can really do a lot more with if we allow ourselves to do so
1: absolutely
0: so you you mentioned um actually being able to train and i forgot your words exactly but to to train your mind or train your brain to do things differently Uh, talk some more about that
1: so I make about 50 distinctions for my clients and we dive, we explore them and we dive deeper and deeper. And it's really the distinction between going through life as an amateur or going through life as a pro. The reason I use amateur and pro um, analogy is because I want people to understand it's not about their personality. It's about their skills. We all have a default let's say, mood, way of being. Some of us get angry quicker. Some of us, you know, think a little faster or slower. That's all fine because once you are an adult, you need to take radical responsibility for how you engage with the world. So I try to make it more simple for them by, by creating these distinctions uh, and saying, look, do you want to live life as an amateur? Or as a pro. The difference between an amateur and pro is the number of hours they've put in. That's really the truth. You know, it's how much practice they've devoted. So if they're willing to embrace that and they have really the desire and the commitment to live life like a pro, I can help them by going, by teaching them these distinctions. For example, you know, we start out with me saying, look, amateurs. Are always looking for hacks and shortcuts, pros do the work. Where in your life are you still taking shortcuts? Where in your life are you reading every article and consuming everything out there in order to figure out a hack versus actually deciding that you're going to do the work? You're going to take the long cut. And that's a really radical idea for our generation because For our work week, for our body, for our this and that, you know, we've all for over a decade now been looking for, um, you know, I call it like hack porn, you know, how to, (laughs) we're (laughs) all calling for that shit, you know?
0: Yeah. That's a very good point. And uh, as you were saying that, I had a guest on a show a while back that talked about if you think about it and you look at the history of mankind and, and this is not just a modern event, but it goes back centuries. And there there's always been a bit of a, a drive to make life easier. You know, uh, and discovered fire because they needed heat and they needed to be able to cook and they figured that out. So that was ultimately a comfort thing and then they started thinking about how to make clothes because again it was more of a comfort thing and a partially survival of course but as we advance you you see developmental things and i I had another guest just recently that uh, we were exploring the whole advent of ai and what is ai about it's helping us think faster and find answers and do more quicker. And and that's a comfort thing. That's an ease of life thing.
1: Yes. And I'm all for ease because at the end of the day, we want to create more ease and more joy and more flow in our lives. There's a difference between ease and easy. There is a generation that wants life to be easy.
0: Right, right. I hate that word, by the way. <laughs> I know what you're saying.
1: <laughs> and I'm not saying life should be difficult. What I'm saying is we, we infuse our life with more ease when we understand and manage our expectations around easy versus hard. We should know, we should be, get comfortable with doing hard things, okay? Because life demands and requires that from us. When we fundamentally don't accept that and don't teach it to our children and we give them the message that fundamentally life should be easy, they think something has gone terribly wrong when life presents itself as not easy. And Doug, you and I know at our ages that life will present itself as (laughs) as not easy, right. again and again and again, until you um, show radical acceptance for that fact.
0: Right, I'm 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 living that right now in in my family. I've got. Five kids and uh, four of them are married and the fifth is in a very significant relationship. But um, without going into details, one of the couples is going through a very challenging part of life. And and not to make light of it, but my kids will tell you as they bring this news to me, my frequent response is, welcome to the big league. you know it because yeah. if it if it for them represents their journey in life growing up and and getting older and experiencing more and then these these hard chapters come up or these hard challenges come up um you're right that's kind of what living the adult life is about you're you're going to have to figure out how to navigate that and you know, you you can get into the question, are you going to be a victim or victor in the moment?
1: That right there, I'm going to interrupt you and say that right there is a mindset shift. So you right. said, what do you work on? So many of us go through our lives. We think we're empowered, but we are actually, we are carrying the victim mindset with us constantly. I can't believe my boss said that. What would it take for my kid just to like appreciate what I do? oh my God, my wife, this, you know, I mean, it's constant and to become awakened to that and to learn that, Hey, your mind will say things like that. That doesn't mean you should Velcro yourself to it. You know, every idea your mind comes up with is not necessarily the truth. (laughs)
0: Like That's that's
1: the skill. That's mindset coaching right there. The shift, to catch yourself being in that victim mindset and move into that owner mindset.
0: Right. I have, I've had experience trying to work with larger groups of people where they're it's more of a group coaching environment and quite a large group actually. And, um, I've, I've talked about, and listeners have heard me say this before, it, it goes back to the 2008 financial crisis and, and the, you know, the high unemployment rates, etc. I was running an organization that was a nonprofit, and we were helping job seekers. And as the numbers came through my door, and by numbers, I mean, I don't want to impersonalize it, but you know, as we had a lot of people showing up to participate in our program. And over time, we had 4,500 people go through the program. And it was easy statistically, and, and the old banker in me couldn't resist the temptation to look at the numbers. I I ran a, a a first cut survey after about maybe 500 people had come through the program, and I realized we had a 66 percent rate of getting job search success. People found new jobs, even in the bad market, but me being me i wasn't happy with 66 percent. i thought oh that's that's not good what else can we do for these other people mm-hmm. but then as i really leaned in and started studying the names in the segments that we had i realized i had a very hard factual analysis that showed me my people were showing up participating at three different levels okay there was one group that happened to be about a third that were rock stars. I mean, the programs we were teaching were pretty revolutionary at the time. LinkedIn was relatively new in 2008. It had only really I think I think it opened up in 2003. That's right. There were probably only 300,000 people on LinkedIn in 2008. Now it's, you know, 2 million or uh, 2 billion, I mean, something like that. Um but we were teaching techniques and behaviors and things like that so this top group they just ate it up and i mean they would go work it they would to your point they would they would take the long way they would they would do all the work do all the process and boom they would announce i got a job i got a job here we go then there was a middle group that was had a little more pushback they were like eh, i don't know but maybe i'll try so they were slower to adopt but in the end they did and they had success but then i had this other third that was nope that's not the way you do it you know last time i wrote a resume i went down to the print shop and i got a box of nice stationery and i banged it out and i i went door knocking and did a you know and it's and and the popular phrase was that's just the way i am you're not going to get me to change
1: yes Yes. Well, then you're just going to get the results that you've been getting.
0: Exactly. And that's what happened. That was the third that fundamentally, and I, this sounds very insensitive, I realize in retrospect, but I call them the chronically unemployed.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: They, They were not going to adopt new ideas and they were going to hold on to some bitterness and some victim mentality about what happened to them at the old job. You know, they felt they were unfairly released from the old company. Well, my guess is they were probably the perpetual complainers and underperformers anyway.
1: I hear you. And the good news is that we can change that. That's what I want your audience to understand. That it is not who we are. It is a pattern of thinking that we either inherited or developed, as you said, you know, through a difficult time. I've been there myself um you know i worked with a coach i still work with a coach uh, i believe in coaching as a perpetual discipline in my life it can be changed
0: right right and and to get back to the whole point of this it is uh it is that mindset and and the reason we think the way we do can can be derived from a lot of different sources and a lot of different ideas, but it is getting that new thinking. And sometimes opportunities like hiring a coach to come in and help you process or uh, another coach speak word that I believe in heavily is is the idea of reframing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could be saying to you, Carolyn, if, if I were your coach, I would say, well, so Tell me what your concern is right now, and you would describe something and maybe there would be a little bit of sprinkling of a little bit of that that victim language in it. But I would challenge you to see if there's another angle or another point of view that you could apply to the same situation, but see it from another dimension.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, one of my favorite ways to do that is when somebody tells me something is not possible, but there's evidence of it in the world. I mean, somebody else is doing that thing, right? Usually 99.9% of the time, something that any one of us thinks is impossible is being done by someone else. Right. So I'll say, well, Doug is doing that thing. What do you? How do you think Doug is going about it? What do you think Doug is doing that is different than what you're no. doing? Right, But you know, you and I both know that really all we do is ask questions. Like we don't tell people what to do. I mean, sometimes people will just get frustrated and say, Carolyn, just tell me what to do. <laughs> you right. know? And then I'll right. drop down from the level of coaching around their identity, coaching around their mindset. I will happily drop down to strategy and tactics and, and brainstorm with them. But most of the time, ninety-five percent of the time, we're up here in identity and mindset, and um, that—the tool for that—is questions, not answers.
0: Right, and it is funny, and even to elevate it to another level, I I had another guest on his show, and she had done a lot of work with uber high performers, Mm. and we're we're talking like Nobel Prize winners, astronauts, scientists—you know, other people. And she said it was interesting. She actually did a a global study and wrote a book about it. And and I think she had about 50 people that she had interviewed. And for the release of the book, her publisher orchestrated a reception of most of the people that were featured in the book. They all agreed to come together. But she said the one thing that emerged in that social gathering (laughs) The Nobel Prize guys were standing over here, they're going, Where's the astronaut? I want to go talk to him. Where's it? And the astronauts were standing over here going, Where are the Nobel guys? I want to go talk to them, you know. And so there was this sort of accomplishment envy of sorts that even a person that had achieved this amazing level of success in their field still had this, this hunger to Know someone or talk to someone who is doing, you know, quote more in another area.
1: You're touching on another um, default mode, especially for high achievers, which is amateurs don't know what enough looks like. They just don't, and pros, not only they decide ahead of time what enough looks like but when they get there. They remind themselves, they reflect, they celebrate, and they are grateful. Right. So this is a high achieving issue that we have. And I'm surrounded by high achiever. Even the young adults I work with, you know, they they come from uh, prosperous families. They go to really good schools and they struggle. Nothing is ever enough. Mm. And on top of that, this particular generation somehow, heard and owned the message, go big or go home. So they are so many of them are frozen because go big is not actually good advice. Once put one foot in front of the other, take small steps towards your goal is how it's done. So it's, you know, they are confused. They have a misunderstanding. They think just because their families gave them all these resources and they went to good schools. Now they should walk out and, you know, uh, be welcomed by Elon Musk personally, um, you know, into their position
0: at the top of the world. You you are so right, and and a lot is being written now about the pressure that young people are dealing with, and the uh, burden of performance that is uh, that that I guess the word is expectation that's being put on them, and so much of it is not well guided or well founded, and the whole idea of uh, grade performance. You know in in the younger like uh elementary school age and such so that you can qualify to go to a a good college you know get a high score on the sat and and go to the better school and all that and there's you know such an incredible pressure for that i um actually had the event uh an opportunity i should say for an event at, at my old alma mater we have a alumni association that supports a certain group of students at my old school and we had our annual fundraiser reunion kind of event this last weekend and meeting the the students that are there now current college age you know the 18 to 22 year olds that are in the programs now um, On the one hand, it was very encouraging. They're all incredibly bright and uh, somewhat competitive about where they are and what they're doing, and they're they're very diversified in what they're thinking and uh, interests that they're pursuing. Virtually all of them are some way engaged in an extracurricular activity, which in my day... Maybe two out of ten were doing extracurricular things. Everybody else was just sort of focused on the study. So it, it is an interesting model, but you can you can infer the pressure they feel to to perform. And that's great. And I'm with you. The question is, for what? You know, what what is that end game you think you're striving for and is it viable and realistic?
1: And, you know, here, I think you're touching on what I believe is the power of transformational coaching. So many people come to coaching really for strategies and tactics and productivity and efficiency and creating great systems. But if your system is addressing the wrong goals, if your system is addressing goals that are not aligned with your values then all you're doing is you're doing the wrong thing better. Yeah. (laughs) I like (laughs) it. And so many of us, you know, wake up to this in the second half of our lives. And, and it's a real problem because then we feel disappointed and hopeless. And we go through all these emotions because we feel that um, I forget who it was but who said that, you know, when the ladder is up against the wrong wall, you know, great. You get to the top of the ladder, you find out it's been against the wrong wall. It's very hard right. on us. And that's why the people have a midlife crisis or become sad and hopeless in the second half. Whereas our second half should be our best half, our most generative half, you right. know, the half that we are deeply Generous and in service, and are fiercely giving of, you know, what we have gained in the first half.
0: Yeah, there's actually a book written by a gentleman named Bob Buford. He he has since passed when he first wrote the book, but it's uh, the book is called Halftime, and he he very much uses a, the the football U.S. football analogy of. You know, the team shows up, they've got a game plan, the first half opens up, there's a kickoff, and you play the first half, and then you go into the locker room at halftime, and classically, the coaches huddle everybody up, and they start making adjustments, and they think about what did they accomplish in the first half, are they ahead, are they behind, Uh, you know, how do you think you can overcome, if you've got a deficit, how can you overcome that, win the second half, and win the game, and if, if you're winning, you want to think about how to protect that margin and keep going and ultimately win the game. So there's this adjustment period at halftime. And he points to that in life, as you just did, Carolyn. And he says, you know, it is important for all of us to take that halftime break and really think about, and obviously age-wise, it's a little bit different for people on where this really occurs. But Typically, it's in the late 40s, certainly through the 50s somewhere, that people start having this sense of a need for that assessment and that decision point. And in his case, Bob described some of his own personal journey where he had been a very successful businessman the first half of his life. And then at his midpoint, he lost his son in a tragic drowning accident. And, you know, that just totally, I won't say it erased, but it totally changed the meaning of everything he had accomplished in the first half. Because guess what? He was busy. He wasn't always at home. He wasn't always available for the family. And now the son is gone. There's no opportunity for any relationship or any, you know, new adventures. So his pivot was to really stop chasing success, but now start looking for significance. And for him, it was, how do I give back? How do I help other people? How do I help others? And specifically, he created what is, it still exists to this day in Dallas. It's called the Halftime Institute. And he's got coaches that help people go through this journey of making this halftime adjustment and deciding on, how do they shift from the drive for success and start looking for significance in the second half and uh really really powerful thought that i've used a lot for a lot of my clients
1: i love it i'm going to check it out
0: <laughs> well um talk a little bit about your your program that you may work with people on how do people Number one, how do people typically show up when they reach out to you and say, Hey, Carolyn, I need help. What, what what kind of stories do they tell you at that time?
1: So my business is, and my entire practice is built on referrals and renewals. I work with the same clients for a very long time because as you know, coaching is different than therapy. Coaching doesn't come from the world of medicine. It comes from the world of business and entertainment, and sports. So it's for people who are already, they're not dysfunctional. They're quite functional, doing very well. And once people realize that, they kind of become, they make room for coaching in their lives ongoing. It's ongoing adult development, you know, ongoing self-mastery. So I tend to work with my clients long-term and and then they refer other people to me. How they show up is... Um, you know, Fast and Furious. <laughs> oh, you know, so and so referred me. I need a coach. I'm this. I'm you know, and I slow them down, and I sometimes have two, three, four preliminary conversations. I don't charge for it, you know, but really, they're getting a taste of my coaching. So they are get understanding what they would be signing up for. And Doug, more importantly, I'm auditioning them. Right. Because I don't know, again, if this has been your experience. If I choose the right clients, my job is, it's almost 100% guaranteed that success is waiting at the end. Because this is the kind of work that if the client comes with the, already the mindset of wanting to make this happen, um, we're, we're more than halfway there.
0: Right. Right. Oh, I, I agree totally. And I have a similar process of, uh, meeting with and vetting, if you will. Um, but, it, but it's more of establishing the chemistry and the opportunity for success and, and determining, because there are those who maybe have sent been referred because somebody told them you got to fix something you know and you you're not going to have long-term success in this company if you don't do something different and so those are much different profiles of of people that are uh, looking at coaching as a fix rather than a, a genuine growth opportunity that's right And you cannot apply coaching as a check the box. All right, I got that done, boss. You know, let me me move on here. Um, I I agree with you totally. I have to have that mutual interest.
1: You do a lot of executive coaching, right? Right. Yeah. So it's very, that kind of like, come fix this person. um, MO is very prevalent, I think, still in executive coaching, although it's changing. Right. Is that a challenge for you?
0: It, it is a challenge, and I, a long time ago, I adopted the, the position. When I, when I hear, and typically, God love them, it's somebody in the talent development or HR realm that makes the call to say, hey, Doug, you're a coach. We've got a guy. You know, we need we need you to come help him, and I'll hear the story about, okay, why? Why do you think this person should be coached? And they'll start describing, you know, some conflict or some issues, and I pretty categorically say, "I'm sorry, you. I'm not your person. I, I, I don't. It. I don't even need to meet the person because of what you're telling me. I'm going to tell you, I don't do fix-it jobs. <laughs> yes. I'm not a fixer-upper kind of coach. You know, if if someone is ready for true uh, exploration of an opportunity." to grow and expand their impact and influence as a leader in a business. And I'm all, I'm all on board. I'll, I'll help them do that. But to tell me that somebody has been referred through an employee complaint, you know, to, to be coached as a disciplinary action. It's like, no, I'm not interested. Sorry.
1: Got it. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah. So
1: before I, um, I was making some videos because I put out a lot of free videos and, and articles uh, on social media and also on my website. And I'm always asked about books and, you know, what are your favorite books? And I have to ask, well, for what, you know, are we talking about parenting? Are we talking about building your career in the second half? And I just happened to do the video on uh, business coaching. So I have four books here that I had pulled that are my favorite books for any kind of business. Can I share them with you? Please, yeah. Okay. And I'm so curious to know if any of them are books that you've heard of already. I love this one, Doug. Have you read this? The Road Less
0: Traveled? I've heard of it. I've not read it yet.
1: So um, The Road Less Traveled was a book that changed my life by Scott Peck when I read it at 18 years old. And so this is a playoff of that and a really good book. Another one that I really-
0: if I may interject there, the the title, by the way, for those of you that are just uh, streaming the audio, the title of the first book is the road, less stupid,
1: the road, less stupid, yeah. the second, and this is sort of my Bible with leaders that are, that could use some help becoming better at what they do and really becoming more of team builders is this book by Liz Wiseman, Multipliers. Okay. This is one of my favorites, give and take.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Okay.
1: By Adam Grant. He talks about how there's three kinds of leaders, givers, matchers, and takers. And then he asks, Who do you think shows up at the very top? Well, I'll ask you, who do you think, what kind of leader do you think shows up, the top 30%?
0: What was the middle term you used?
1: Givers, matchers, matchers, it's what it sounds like. You know, it's very quick. Well, if you get... I, uh,
0: I think it'd be the giver.
1: The givers. Well, people don't usually guess that, and you're right. But the interesting thing is the bottom 20% are also givers. So what is the difference between the successful givers and the you know, unsuccessful givers? He talks about that here. And this one is kind of a sleeper that I love. It's called overcoming under-earning. And mm-hmm. it addresses how so many of us, if we're making good money, we think that we're doing great and we've hit our potential. But those limiting beliefs you were speaking about, if we haven't cleaned them up, they're getting in the way of us really hitting our earning potential. And how even if you make a million dollars, you could still be under earning if you haven't done the work up here.
0: I like that. Those are those are great suggestions. And We'll uh, refer to all those in the show notes, folks, if if you um, didn't catch it on the fly there. But, um, well, Carolyn, it's about time for us to wrap this up. Uh, tell folks how to reach you and what is your website?
1: So I love being reached. I respond to everyone because it's just what I love. My website is Carolyn Mabooby, just like my name. And... Um, I don't have a book right now. My practice is full, but what I would love, love, love is for folks, if any of these messages resonates for them to join my email list and they get my blogs in their email every week. Um, And then that way we can stay in touch and they can tell me their thoughts, ask any questions. And I'm very, very happy to coach in that way.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, thank you for sitting in, and this has really been helpful. I really appreciate the discussion we've been able to share.
1: My pleasure. Same here, Doug. I've learned a lot from you in the couple of conversations we've had.
0: (laughs) Well, and as always, folks, the things that were referenced, the website, the books, and all those things will be in the show notes. So please, uh, when you're finished listening or watching, drop down and check that out. As always, I like to remind people, we do have a video version of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, leave us a comment, and please reach out to me and let me know your thoughts and ideas. If you've got an opinion about what we spoke of today or you're curious, you can always reach me on all of my social links as well. And my main uh, landing page, if you will, is my website, DougThorpe.com. Hop over there. You get all my information there as well. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.